everybody doing? Good morning, good morning, good morning. Oh, it's a good 9 a.m. Thank you so much, honey. Glory to God. I just want to see if you do it. You pass the test. It's a joke, guys. Come on, man. Lighten up. Lord Jesus, help these people. Okay, I'm going to pray for you. And then, no, I'm just playing. Uh, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. You guys are a lively bunch already. Love it. So alive. Uh, are you guys excited about a revival group launching this Wednesday? Come on. Um, if you want to sign up for that, uh, just let me reiterate. It's, uh, you go to revival.me. You can do it on your phone, revival.me. Uh, and you just uh, go to the revival group. You'll see on there, there's community groups and revival groups. We're launching our first revival group. And then you just click join group, put your email in, phone number, that kind of thing. And then uh, you'll be added to the group uh, within a short time. And then you'll have the address and everything on there. We will be sending an email out probably on Wednesday or Tuesday night. Um, but we, we definitely encourage you to come, be a part of that. It's going to be at, at our house. We're going to have a time of worship. Uh, time of uh, te- short time of teaching and then conversation, pray for one another, and it's going to be really, 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 really amazing. Uh, a little birdie told me. So uh, if you, uh, and then also the, the last announcement, who's ever come to our open mic? Raise your hand if you have. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, you need to come and bring some people. They might not come to church you know, that, that person you've been inviting over and over, but say, hey, come to this open mic, man. Let's check out some rap, spoken word, and music and stuff like that. But it's a lot of fun, man, and there's some really good coffee, tea, stuff like that. So it's going to be awesome. This Friday night, sign up at 6.30, and it is right in the foyer here. Um, so in Acts chapter 9, we're continuing our series, The Appeal of Love. And I uh, hope you've been enjoying this. We, we've been... Uh, just having a good time. And I, I've really been stirred lately. I had something else planned last week uh, or the week before, and I, we switched that up. But uh, I've, I've been really stirred about uh, some things. And, and so that's what I'm going to get into today. And we're going to look at the account that the Apostle Paul gives of his conversion when he is on the road to Damascus. We're going to read some verses here, and then I'm just going to teach and share some things. Are you all ready? And then we're going to end with Holy Communion. Come on, somebody. So in uh, Acts 19, or I'm sorry, Acts 9, uh, verses 1, we're going to start at verse 1. It's going to be up here, and it is on the message. Who brought their actual physical Bible? Oh, man, look at all the real Christians in the room. Come on, somebody. Now, who has Bible on their phone? Look at all the students that can look up 29 different versions on their phone. Gotcha this week. Come on. This is going to be in the message. The message is uh, translated by a scholar named Eugene Peterson. Now, listen, let me just say this right now. Um, If you haven't been through our school of theology and supernatural living, we talk about stuff like this, but it is so important we read from various versions. Matter of fact, you know that in in the King James Bible, those that, that actually translated it encouraged people to read different translations. Isn't that funny? Because there's people that are hardcore KJV only, if they just listened to the people that translated the version 400 years ago, they would read other versions. Come on. And so it's so important we glean from different versions. As a matter of fact, and I'm not knocking King James, but uh, the, 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 like some of the manuscripts that we have now, we have thousands now. But back then when KJV was translated, we, we only had hundreds. So we have way more original manuscripts, original manuscripts 
uh, now. And so some of the translations now are even more accurate. And uh, I'm not going to get too much into that, but the reason that we like to read from different versions is to glean. And this is a brilliant scholar. This is not something you want to read from every day, per se. This is why we read from different versions, but this is kind of a contemporary English. And let's just get right into it. So if you don't have the message, I encourage you to just check out the screen behind me. Acts chapter 9, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Verse 1, here we go. All this time Saul was breathing down the necks of the master's disciples. Listen, let me just say, don't ever breathe down my neck, okay? I don't like that, but this is talking about something entirely different. Out for the kill, he went to the chief priest. So now I want you to catch this in verse 1. Saul is in charge of killing Christians. Like Saul is in charge of trying to take out the infant church. This is who he is right now. This is, this is his goal. Uh, and so now he's getting authority from the chief priest to go into other regions and other cities and arrest and stone more people. It says, he went out to get arrest warrants to take uh, to the meeting places in Damascus. So he was going to go to all the places that the church was gathering in Damascus so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether man or woman, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. Verse 3, he set off. When he got uh, to the outskirts of Damascus, he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. As he fell to the ground, he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? He said, who are you, master? I am Jesus, the one you're hunting down. I want you to get up and enter the city, and in the city you'll be told what to do next. Verse 7, his companions stood there dumbstruck. They could hear the sound but couldn't see anyone. While Saul, picking himself up off the ground, found himself stone blind. They had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. He continued blind for three days. He ate nothing and drank nothing. Verse 10, there was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. The master spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered, or yes, master, he answered. And the Lord says, get up and go over to Straight Avenue and ask the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus. His name is Saul, and he is there praying. As he just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias, uh, he had just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so he could see again. Ananias protested, Master, you can't be serious. Everyone is talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing, his reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now, just a few more verses. Y'all with me? Verse 14. And now, can we read the Bible in church this morning? Come on, somebody. And now he has shown up here with papers from the chief priests that give him license to do the same to us. But the master said, don't argue. (laughs) You ever heard that from the Lord? (laughs) Don't argue. Just go. I have picked him as my personal representative to Gentiles and kings and Jews. Wow. Wow. Verse 16, and now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard sufferings that goes with his job. So Ananias went and found the house and placed his hand on blind Saul and said, Brother Saul, the master sent me, the same Jesus you saw on your way here. He sent me so you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. No sooner 
were the words out of his mouth, and something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got on his feet, was baptized. He sat down with them to a hearty meal. Saul spent a few days getting acquainted with the Damascus disciples. Amen. Well, you just got through 19 verses of the Bible on a Sunday morning. Praise God. Isn't that powerful, though? What a powerful account of Paul's encounter with Jesus. You know, one encounter with God will change your life forever. One encounter in worship will change your life. One encounter with God on your journey in life will change your life forever. Uh, I, I, I want to just say this, that the reason that we felt like when we planted the church nine years ago, or we're going to be celebrating our nine-year anniversary uh, the end of this month, um, nine years as a church. Come on, can we give God a shout of praise? And it's just begun. But I, uh, I want to say this. When we planted the church, we felt like we, people need to encounter God. Like, I don't want to just read about it. I want to encounter God. And so when we planted the church, we said that's what we're going to name the church because it's going to be a place of encounter. And I believe it lives up to its name. Come on. And we are a people that come together to meet with God and encounter his manifest presence, encounter his love, see people saved, healed, delivered, delivered, chains broken. And how many know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And for nine years, we have literally seen the dead raised. We have seen pimps healed, saved, delivered. Prostitutes saved, healed, delivered. Come on. Drug dealers saved, healed, delivered. Drug addicts saved, healed, delivered. I'm so glad you're excited about deliverance and what God does in the earth. We've seen God's hand move. Marriage is restored. I mean, and God gets the glory because we just made space. And God, we want people to encounter you because one encounter with God will change your life forever. I don't know about you, but I can tell story after story of when I was going the wrong direction that I met Jesus on my way there. And I'm, whether it's driving down the road and I got to pull over, glory to God, you ever have one of those moments you can't drive anymore? And it's just like, Jesus, Jesus, oh, Father. And I just want to encourage you that you are at a place of encounter, and it's safe to encounter God here. And, and we love Jesus, and, and we love the scriptures, and we love how the Holy Spirit points uh, to Jesus through his eternal word, through the word of God and the written word, and we see Jesus on the pages. And so I pray today uh, that as we discuss this text that you meet Jesus on your journey in a greater way. And how many know that like, we don't encounter God one time and that's it. Like, we have these progressive encounters with God. You know, I don't know about you, but in my life, I've had times where I, I feel like, you know, I finally figured it out. You know, like, yeah, God loves me. His love is amazing. Yes, I understand the love of God. How many know that even the Apostle Paul said that his love surpasses knowledge? So even my ability to know what love is his love surpasses my understanding of what I think I know. Wow. It surpasses knowledge. It's not just about knowing, it's about experiencing his love. And when we experience his love, this is what this whole series really has been about more than anything, is how our lives are transformed and it affects our relationships with one another. And this is an ongoing thing. Like Christians should be, 
most noted for the love that they show their brothers and sisters and the love that they show humanity. And for some reason, it's like we, we like to hear messages that accommodate to our brokenness in those things instead of our brokenness through those things that get us out the other side where we can really start releasing his, the revelation of his love by loving even our enemies. I mean, this is what Christianity is about. Like, we're, we have a hard time getting people out of pews to serve, you know? We have a hard time. Well, we got to evangelize. We, but Jesus like, no, the goal is love your enemies. I mean, that's, that's enemy love is a big deal. And so, you know, like, can you imagine praying for somebody you love and whatever, you know, not a big thing, but you, it's easy to pray for someone you love, right? I mean, someone that, that is close to your heart. But can you imagine the heart of God breaking over Islamic terrorism and these blinded Muslims? And this is what Saul was like, a modern-day ISIS. I mean, he's literally killing Christians in charge of martyring Stephen. He was the guy. He was the guy, and he was breathing threats. Now, the Greek language in, in the first verse here is very emphatic of, like, preparing for war. Matter of, matter of fact, like, first century writings, it was used in that connotation where he was breathing threats. It's like, we're ready for battle, and there's more blood that's going to be shed. And he was doing it all in the name of God. He was doing it all like God told him to. He's a Pharisee. He's, he's zealot. He's radical. And he's going out again to another city, and he's going to take someone else out. Now, I want to talk to you about the encounter that we have with God uh, and, and what it causes us to do. And, you know, sometimes we have these, these concepts in church where, and this is, very, this is a very scary place, guys. I want to just say this, that isolation is absolutely demonic. Now, when you, when you get alone in a solitary place, that's different. Like, we, we, we have to, and how many introverts do we have in the house? Like, I need my alone time. Come on, somebody. Like, I, I feel you. I'm relational, but I need my alone time. And, and so that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when we think that we are independent beings, and this is what, this is the problem that happened in the garden of Adam, with Adam and Eve. I mean, you know, like that independent thing, turning away from life itself and the tree of life. But God has provided a, a supernatural wellspring of life, and it's called community. And this is why he says that we are the church, not alone, but together. Now, I want to talk about this just for a little bit because there's a relational dynamic in community that is not fun at all. Because if you are human and you go into relationship, you're going to be offended. You're going to be hurt. You're going to go through stuff. Can you say amen? amen? It is just a part of life. And so it's like getting married and thinking we're never going to fight. Oh, my God, I love you so much. <laughs> you're in for it. Have fun. God bless you. <laughs> I mean, how many know, like, sometimes we don't know what we're getting into, and it's like, oh, my God. Like, when we planted the church, oh, my God, it's going to be amazing revival. Ah! And then people are like, you know, crazy, and I'm crazy. I don't even realize I'm crazy. Like, I got, I need deliverance myself. I'm, a, I'm the pastor. I don't even like these people, you know. <laughs> we're in the cave of Adullam, metaphorically, and all these people are coming, and, and God's adding to the church. And we didn't know what we were in for. We had no idea. And I preached every week, and I led worship, and I was a man of God. But when I decided to pioneer a church, whole nother ball game, y'all. Whole nother ball game. 
And so this concept of relationship community, it's inescapable. Like, I mean, we are going to spend eternity together. We should probably just start getting along now. I remember hearing Jesse Duplantis tell this story where he says, you know, I feel like God's going to put you next door to someone you don't like just on purpose. He will build their mansion right next to yours. And they'll walk over every day and be like, hi, what's up? You know, that person that gets on your nerves, the person you won't call back. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to myself right now. I'm really convicted. Let's do the altar call and close, have communion. Amen. Jesus, help me. But this is a powerful encounter, and I'm, I'm looking at this, and I was talking to my wife about what's on my heart, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to her about, you know, in Christianity, especially in the charismatic stream, we know how to hear the voice of God. We know how to, like, get in the scripture and, like, I need to hear from God. Every single one of you know how to do that, right? And every single one of you, I'm sure, to a degree, you know, some more than others, we have learned the voice of the Lord and learned to trust the Holy Spirit. And how many think that's an important part of our Christianity? Like we have to, and that is a big part of it. Now, the whole isolation thing, sometimes uh, we, you know, we won't let anybody question our God told me. Now, when that happens, we've just become our own God. Like I've been a part of, you know, relationships in the past our church isn't like this, but, you know, like some people, the Lord told them everything. It's like, cool. I mean, that's live by that. That's, I, be, I believe in that. But when it moves over into spheres of things that I'm responsible for in my heart, and you're going to tell me what the Lord told you to tell me to do for my own life. Hello? You see it in domineering leadership. Like the, the pastor's like, well, you're moving out of town. You did not consult with me about that. The shepherding movement, man. I mean, like, this is, and so the Lord told me, well, if the Lord told you, I can't question it. And if I can't question your God told me, or we can't discover, well, I feel like the Lord told me. I actually like that verbiage a lot better. I feel like God is speaking to me. Because if you say the Lord told me, the Lord told me, God told me, God told me, God told me all the time, then it's like, I can never question or I can never challenge or in any way say, well, you know, like, I, I, can I be honest with you? There's a lot of things I said the Lord told me, and I look back, the Lord didn't tell me nothing, man. <laughs> I mean, it's for real, hello? And that's the way you should judge it, is look at the fruit. And there's so many, you know, I've heard it over and over again. The Lord tell me, this is my wife. That lasted real long, about two months later. Now, I know things happen, guys. I remember meeting with a couple, and, uh, and my wife and I, they're like, we're getting married, and we had a vision. And I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> I believe in visions. And the Lord told us. And I'm like, cool, but do you, are you attracted to one another? Is it hard to be alone? Because <laughs> if not, you might not last, pretty. I mean, keep it real. Hello? Come on, you married couples that have been around. You know sometimes it's the chemistry that keeps you together. Don't get quiet, prude Christians. Come on, man. The marriage bed is undefiled. Glory to God. My favorite scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Do not deprive one another. Woo. I sing it all day in my house when my kids are gone. I say, honey, you know that song. I, Do not deprive one another. What's up, baby? Okay. My bad. How many know, though, sometimes that God told me don't work out that well? 
Like you look back and say, no, the Lord didn't tell me that. And when you admit it, you'll learn to hear his voice better. And when you, listen, hear me. This is such a powerful story because sometimes we're so good at like, oh, I trust the voice of the Holy Spirit. Try trusting the voice of the Holy Spirit inside someone else. Like there's times the Lord says, yeah, I know you're doing, son, you're doing good. I'm proud of you. But learn to trust the Holy Spirit inside of your spouse. Learn to trust. Have you ever had this happen where a little child comes up and blows your mind with some revelation? Like God uses a baby to come up and say something to you. I'll never forget, uh, just the other day, Sarah, Sarah was like telling Layla, she doesn't need to be afraid and, and you know, there's angels and Jesus is with her. And, and so Sarah was, and a couple days had passed and Sarah was trying to get Layla to sleep with her in, in her bed downstairs because my oldest daughter's room is downstairs. And so she's like, sleep with me, Layla. And Layla's like, no, I want to go with mommy and daddy tonight. And, you know, and, and Sarah's like, but I, I'll be alone and I don't want to be alone. And she's like, it's okay. There's angels and there's Jesus and you'll be fine. Sarah's like, okay, good night, Layla. <laughs> Layla goes upstairs. Sometimes you got to learn to trust the Holy Spirit inside someone in your life. And listen, it takes relationship. You don't trust everybody. Like, it's unhealthy to just, you know, I'll just believe what everyone says. I mean, that's just dumb. You know, like, and we, sh we don't need to have a relationship with everyone either. We should love everybody. But sometimes your enemies, maybe people that you haven't set yourself against them, but they've set themselves against you, you can love them from a distance. It's called healthy boundaries. It's toxic and dysfunctional to allow someone to dookie on your living room floor. <laughs> Metaphorically. Like, some people don't need to be in my house. Hello? If you're going to make a mess in my crib, then you can go somewhere else. And how many know that sometimes we need healthy boundaries? So I'm not, I'm not talking about just letting anyone in your life. But as you build relationships, you learn, like, you know, this person has been a prophetic voice. The church needs prophetic voices. The church needs, every community needs a prophetic voice, more than one voice. But people, uh, you know, praying saints and, and intercessors and, and prophetic warriors that are pillars in the house of God that can say, you know, I'm really feeling like this is what God's doing and saying and where we're headed as a people. But this, this is so powerful where Saul is on his way. He is set to go basically kill some more Christians, and he's blinded by light. Now, I believe that in a sense, it, it, didn't, it wasn't the light that blinded him per se. It was the light that revealed his spiritual state. See, when you're turned away from love and you encounter love, there's a momentary blindness where you're forced to, to actually trust someone else to lead which way you go. And you think about it, and Paul is like a, Saul is like a terrorist, and he gets knocked down. We don't know if he was on a horse. Some of the pictures show him on a horse. The Bible doesn't say that, you know, knocked off your high horse, you know, but he get, gets knocked down on the ground. He hears the voice of the Lord. He encounters love. He encounters Jesus. And he's blind, and he had no other option but to let somebody else lead him. Have you ever been there in your life? There is such a vulnerability to say, I trust you. You know, as a leader, I'm learning more and more and more, and I, and I want to live by this, not in a passive way. 
because love isn't passive. Love is active. Sometimes love corrects, protects, but as a leader, I want to be such a releaser to where I'm not micromanaging ministries and people and this and that, but I release them and I trust them. And that means people are going to make mistakes. I do. I did. But thank God for space and a place where I can be who I am. Because the worst thing that can happen is release a leader and then try to tell them what to do. And if what you're telling them to do conflicts with who they really are as far as their heart and how they're wired and who they are in God, then they're going to be frustrated. And, and Paul was at this place of vulnerability where, okay, yeah, he heard the voice of the Lord, but it, the next step was that someone else was going to come into his life and the guys that were with him on the road had to lead him by the hand. So I just want to say this. Learn to trust the Holy Spirit continually, but also learn to trust the Holy Spirit that lives in the people that are in your life, that God has put there strategically to help shape how you hear God and how, and then look back and say, did the Lord really tell me that? Because there wasn't much fruit. And so maybe the Lord didn't tell me that. So identify those moments. This is so healthy, guys. Like, this is really good, especially for charismatic Christians, you know? Like, the Lord told me, the Lord told me, ooh, the Lord told me. It's 444. Everything's prophetic, right? And some people are wired that way, and I think it's cool because I'm kind of like that too, but there's sometimes it's like, I just got to be grounded in the natural because the natural and the spiritual realm are not separate. There's not a chasm. They are intertwined and they're superimposed over one another. And so sometimes we have this Gnostic dualistic thinking where we separate spiritual and natural things, but no, they're wired together. Do you know sometimes you can solve a spiritual problem with the natural solution? Like, well, I have a spirit of poverty, so let's pray. Yeah, pray, but get a job too. Praise break. Right. Like, you know, well, my kids have a spirit of rebellion. Well, yeah, break the power of that thing, then spank their booties. <laughs> Hello. Right? Sometimes we can solve a spiritual problem with a natural solution. We over-spiritualize things. Now, that's a big one, too. The Lord told me. Sometimes our over-spiritualization is so we have an exit strategy to be irresponsible at the end of the game if it don't work out. Well, you know, I was just obeying the Lord. No, you made a bad choice. Don't blame someone else for your bad choice. I'm preaching to myself again, guys. If I sound like I'm being harsh, I'm just, sometimes I got to preach to myself. Because y'all never encourage me, so. <laughs> Karen, can you pray for me? <laughs> Karen leads our sozo ministries. Praise God. So when you're turned away from love, it's almost like this. And now I'm not saying that God blinds us, but love gives us a temporary state of where it, it's almost like it compels us. We're compelled by love to trust someone else in our life. It's so powerful. I mean, it really is powerful learning to trust his voice, but also depending uh, on, on someone else. Like interdependence is healthy, not codependence, but interdependence. We're a body and we're being fitly framed together. And sometimes you got the answer I need. It's not just going to come. I mean, listen, I, the other day I was so blessed. I went to lunch with uh, Jeff right here, our leader of our, our prayer ministry. And we just went to lunch and hung out. And he's sharing. And I'm just like, I felt like the Holy Spirit, just listen. Because there's so much wisdom. 
as he's speaking. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm literally getting drunk in the spirit, man. I'm just like, man, God is good. And the Lord reminded me, you remember when you never listened? I'm like, yeah, Lord, I remember. Learning, is an, uh, uh, learning to listen is an art. It's a lost art. Sometimes it's like we have, we're so self-absorbed and it's almost like, you know, when you put headphones on and you're like, yo, what's up, man? It's really loud. You're not aware because all you hear is your own sound and you're getting high on your own fumes. You walk in the room and someone's in a conversation, you interrupt their conversation. You're not even aware of other people, you know, and and Jeff's really good at that. He's self-aware and other aware, but there's such a beauty about listening like being slow to speak and just listening. You know, it took me years after I got saved. I was so full of myself because I'm praying for people and they're getting healed. I'm like, whoa, man, I'm a revivalist, you know. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm like, I'm on fire. I'm the next Smith Wigglesworth. And then I go to a Bible study. Phil Nelson teaches this Bible study. And every Monday and Friday night, I have to sit there and listen. And he would talk for two hours every Monday and Friday, but it was good. And I learned to listen. Thank you for being an instrument of God. Sometimes we forget the gifts that Jesus has given us, teachers, pastors, leaders, or children. Like learning from a child, the heart of it, the tenderness of a child. Sometimes I learn from my kids. I learn from Josiah because his heart is so tender. And I learned that, like, God, you can use people in my life. You can use a, a homeless dude, man. You can use a, a lady that, that, you know, might seem a little off kilter walking down the street with a shopping cart, but she might say something. And I know, like, God, you just use that person to, to correct me or to do adjustment in my heart. So we have to be looking for those moments. And what a moment of humiliation where Paul have you ever, you know, depending on, on the direction that we're headed, when, you, when we encounter love radically, it might be hard to see where we're going, but it's the perfect opportunity to let someone else guide you. And there's times in life where it's like that. Can I hear you say amen? amen. You know, learning to trust, you know, it's like learning to trust somebody's driving. If you've been in an accident, that's kind of hard, huh? I mean, it really is. Uh, you know, I have a hard time trusting people's driving as it is. <laughs> it's hard for me to sleep on road trips because, you know, the, I hear, I wake up, I, someone actually hits the little bumps on the road, you know, on the side of the highway. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and, you know, learning, but on the journey, we have to learn someone else is driving. We don't have to be in control all the time. You know, our method of controls is, is rooted in fear. We're afraid. And, and, you know, yeah, we might hit some bumps in the road. Like, if you fly, you're going to hit some turbulence. I've rarely flown with no turbulence. It's a rare event. But how many know turbulence doesn't mean hit the eject button? Sometimes we've been rejected over and over and over in relationships. We don't even want to jump on the plane with, you know, no, I'm not doing this thing. But, but even if we do, okay, let's do it. You hit turbulence. We think the plane's going down. The plane's going down. Eject. And we jump ship before God can forge our hearts and do something in us and teach us how to love better. And this is, this is what happens when, when we encounter love on our journey. And, and relationship takes time. Getting to know someone's heart takes time. You know, it's powerful is Ananias means Jehovah has graciously given. 
And so Paul sends an Ananias, a gift from God. In the Old Testament, uh, in Hebrew, it's similar to, it's like a masculine version of, it's similar to the word Hannah, the name Hannah, my, my daughter Hannah, Grace. And her middle name's Grace, because she's Grace Grace. So God shows us grace, and he sends Ananias, who really was Saul's enemy. Saul was, that was the dude he was going to kill. Now think about Ananias. Have you ever been in Ananias? And sometimes these roles are reversed. Well, I'm a Saul sometimes, I'm an Ananias, like in relationships, in in life. But have you ever been in a place where like, no, 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 I'm not messing with this dude. I know what he's done, you know, like he's a terrorist. Yeah, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to invite ISIS into my house and we're going to have dinner together. Sounds cool, man. (laughs) Have fun with that radical missionary. I mean, this, this is what this story really is though. This, this is radical enemy love. And when we choose to love in a radical way, walls come down. Even our own walls. The walls that we put around our heart to protect it. Well, the Bible says, guard my heart. It doesn't mean put walls up. It means guard it from putting walls up. It means don't get your arteries clogged and constrict life from areas of your life, relationships. Don't get bitter. Don't get angry. That's what guard your heart means in Proverbs 4.23. It doesn't mean protect it from people. It means protect it for people. Bam. Like, but, but we like the other interpretation because I'll put walls up. I can shun you. Shunned, shunned, you're shunned out of my life, right? Like we metaphor, we, we unfollow people on Facebook. We do it in real life too. You're unfollowed. You didn't say hi to me in the hall. Jason, you didn't get me coffee fast enough this morning. Unfollowed. Can you imagine if I was really like that? You wouldn't hang out with me, bro, would you? Like, we, but we do it. We do it, right? Can you say Amen. Learning to trust, man, learning. Ananias is the grace of God. I love this. Now, verse 17, this is so powerful. Y'all ready? I'm going to close. Ananias went and found the house, placed his hand on blind Saul and said, Brother Saul, the master sent me, the same Jesus you saw on your way here. He sent me so you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Someone might come into your life so you can see better than you did before. And Ananias is grace. So guess what happens? Saul, the Lord says, go to the, the road called straight. That's, thanks, Lord. Yeah, what a joke. Yeah, he's going to make my path smooth. That's what he needed, though, right? <laughs> you go to the house on the road called straight. He's sitting in the house. And guess what he encounters in the house? Broken and blind. Grace. Don't leave the house. Sit in the house until you encounter grace and see things a little bit better. And when you encounter love on the road, it might seem like, I don't really see what's going on right now, but I'm just going to trust community. I'm going to trust the people that you put in my life, Lord. As a pastor, this is, this is a big one because it's like, as a leader, sometimes you feel really alone because it's hard to relate to people. And it's one of the, someone texted me recently, a leader, and he's like, do you ever feel alone? I'm like, every day, bro. Every day. And, and you're running, and you're running the race, you know? And, and, and so it, it, learning to be vulnerable enough to say, I need you in my life. Like, I need you, and, and I need, you need me. And, and so this, this process and this beauty of community is so powerful. So Paul, or Saul, is in the house. 
and he, and he encounters grace. And grace infills him with the Spirit and helps him see things clear. Isn't that powerful? So beautiful. And, and leads us in the way that we need to go. You know, Saul's name actually means uh, desired one. And uh, asked for, prayed for, like I'm the answer to your prayers. That was his Hebrew name. But how many know his encounter with Jesus shaped his identity that he was sent to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles? And his name was then known as, he, he went by his name Paul. They kind of had two names in the first century. I think we should bring that back. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> you can call me Leroy. Come on, somebody. <laughs> or Wilbur. No. So Paul means small. <laughs> yeah. Just call me small. They used to call me desired one. I was the answer to their prayers, but now I'm small. But you know what it means? It means humble. See, when we're humble, and it, when we encounter love, it always results in humility. Always. It means that we're able to listen. We're able to receive. It's easier to posture our hearts to receive, even from our enemies. Now, I want you to think about this. Saul gets prayed over. Ananias comes. The first thing he sees is the face of who he was sent to kill. But he looks at him, not with murdering threats, but with love. You're my brother. And he gets baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. I mean, that is incredible. And then they break bread. His enemy fed him. When we sometimes we feed our enemy, you know, I'm learning to do this, and I, I've done it before, so into something that, is, that has caused us pain. And it breaks the back of the enemy. So powerful. Not just financially, but you sow. You just, I'm going to love. I'm going to let generosity overcome. I'm going to let good overcome evil. Isn't that powerful? So sometimes we're Saul, sometimes we're Ananias, but we have to remember that God gives us grace in the house, on the straight road. God gives us grace so we can see better, so that we can know his voice and trust one another and learn that our enemy one day might be our friend the next day. So learn to walk in forgiveness and love. I want to close with a, this really, really powerful uh, portion of Philippians. Then we're going to pray. Are you all ready? I'm just going to read right through this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 in the message. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put a, yourself aside and Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. And the last verse, think of yourselves the way Jesus thought of himself. Can you say amen? As we come to the table of the Lord and dismiss, remember at one time we set ourselves against God, but he pursued us in love and he fed us even though we set ourselves against him and we're enemies of God in our mind like Colossians chapter 1. 
but he gave his own broken body so we could be healed. He shed his blood so that we could receive forgiveness and freedom. Our enemy was never God. It was sin and death reigning in the cosmos. And God took care of that in his finished work. And as we come to the table of the Lord and we partake of bread, and hallelujah, it's real bread because it was never meant to be unleavened. Come on. We went back to the the unleavened thing because we want to go back to the old covenant. But to this day, some traditions still use bread because in the scriptures, in the gospels, when he broke bread, it was real bread. Come on, not the unleavened cracker. It was real bread. So when we come to the table, Lord, remember we're partaking of the broken body of Jesus and we're drinking his blood that has washed us and forgiven us and teaching us to love. So when we come to the table, encounter love again so that we can move forward on this journey and do what God has called us to do. Can you say amen? Amen. Lord, we bless the elements. Can we have our prayer team and those that have uh, been called to serve? We are going to serve you communion so you receive it. You don't take communion, you receive it. You receive his love, you receive his life. And so we're going to dismiss you in just a moment if our host could be ready to do that. And I would encourage you, host, let's do like two or three rows at a time. Even if there's a line forming, we'll get through it a little quicker. So Lord, we bless the bread and the juice. We thank you that there's manifest presence as we partake of your body and your blood. We thank you for forgiveness and we thank you for uh, these encounters that we have with love on our journey that change our life forever. Teach us to love our enemies. Teach us to, to lean on one another when we feel like we can't see straight. And so, Lord, we thank you for that right now, and we bless it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen.